The other night, I dreamed that a grieving dad was telling me the following story about losing one of his children. He told me about taking his young son out for a jet ski ride, and then he asked me to imagine the horror of losing his son when his son lost his grip and flew off the back of the craft and, despite wearing a life preserver, somehow slipped beneath the waves and was never seen again. The water was too rough and the bumps were too large, and dad never even noticed the precise moment when his son was lost. Hi, this is Brandon, and welcome to the Crucible of Thought podcast. I'm here to share things that interest me and things that I think the Lord has brought to my attention. And today's episode is titled, Hanging On for Dear Life. As I awoke and I considered this sobering dream, I realized it has a very current context of our religious experience. You know, as adults, we develop some coping skills for navigating the massive bumps and slams of the large waves of life. And at some level, we may even enjoy the challenge, even though it's sometimes painful. But a child hasn't got these coping skills and may often find it impossible to hang on through the turbulence. We tend to forget this, and sometimes we treat our children as if they should naturally be able to hang on through the wild ride, and we don't even realize the moment when they're lost. We just look back and suddenly realize they're not there anymore. This sounds a lot like deconstruction that we see across the church today. Many young people are disappearing, often unnoticed, and simply never seen inside a church again. The sobering thing is this. it's Fundamentally, it's our fault. We didn't adequately prepare them, and we took them on a ride for which they were unprepared, perhaps even thinking that they'd enjoy it. Now, it's easy to blame someone who deconstructs or walks away from the faith for their part in the matter. But it's much, much harder to realize that when they're given an unmanageable task and without preparation, the fault lies in the leader and the teacher. Lately, I've been reading about the doctrine of universalism, and that's the idea that God will eventually bring everyone to salvation, even after death. It's controversial among evangelicals, but it's hardly uncommon across the global church and was actually more common than the evangelical doctrine of eternal torment until fairly recently. Here's the important thing that I've been thinking that comes from that reading. A lot of us are taught a very crippled, incomplete, or frankly totally inaccurate concept of God's character and nature. Every human teacher or pastor is flawed, and those flaws can easily lead someone to a similarly flawed sense of God. If someone rejects God, quote-unquote, based on rejecting an inaccurate representation of him, well, are they rejecting God himself, or are they merely rejecting what they were erroneously taught about God? As a simple example, consider a Muslim raised in an Islamic country and never accurately introduced to the Jesus of the Gospels, and that Muslim who then refuses to become a Christian. Are they rejecting Jesus, even if they've had some Christian tell them that The only way to be saved is accepting Jesus' lordship. Having had no personal experience with God or Jesus himself, and having been taught a lifetime of lies about Jesus, it's no surprise to me that a devout Muslim would reject that false Jesus that they were taught, despite a brief sermonette by some well-meaning Christian. Now, given that this is the case, would that just and loving God presented throughout the entire Bible reject that Muslim? and punish them for eternity based on the rejection of someone other than the true Lord Jesus Christ himself? Well, regardless of whatever I end up deciding about the doctrines of universalism or eternal torment, this leads me to think very carefully about how I portray Jesus to the unbelievers around me 
and especially to those in my personal care. If my life is modeling a violent or an unloving Jesus, am I giving or am I denying them access to the real Jesus? I may well be the only person who ever introduces them to God, and if my portrayal of him is false, even if I use Jesus' name in my introduction, then I'd assert I'm using Jesus' name in vain. Exodus 20, verse 7, the fourth commandment says, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Now let's consider the Hebrew that's in this verse. Nasah, the word translated take, can mean to lift, carry, transport, show, or bear. Shem, the word translated name, can also mean fame, reputation, and renown. Shav, the word translated in vain, can mean empty, or deceitful, or lies, or worthless. So to put all those words together, this verse could easily be translated also, your life shall not demonstrate an inaccurate representation of the reputation and renown and fame of the Lord your God. So the idea in Exodus 20 verse 7 concerns lying about God by empty or deceitful representation or lifestyle, not merely using his name as a swear word. And I think that's what's at stake here. Are my actions, not just my words, misrepresenting God himself, his reputation, his renown to those around me? If so, I'm doing what the father in my dream was doing, failing to prepare those under my care for the bumps and the waves of life so that when they encounter trouble, their God isn't the Lord, it's some misrepresentation that I created in their mind and their soul. So of course this false God will not and cannot save them. And when that happens and they look lost to us, well, I trust the infinite and boundless grace of an eternally just God to eventually bring them to an accurate representation of himself, even if it means, as Jesus did between his crucifixion and his resurrection in the so-called harrowing of hell, even if it means ransacking the underworld to save them himself, since nobody in their lives ever accurately presented Jesus to them. But look, no matter how you feel about this doctrine, the better way is for us to do our job as explicitly given to us by Jesus himself in Matthew 28, 19, to go and make disciples of all mankind. Now this, this doesn't mean yelling at them from a pulpit or knocking on the doors of strangers. It means what to, to disciple meant to Jesus and to his listeners. It meant accurately reproducing his character in those who followed him, not strangers, but those who had relationship with him and followed him around every day, even sleeping under the stars or depending on strangers for food. And to do that well with those in my closest sphere of influence, I first have to allow Christ to be accurately reproduced in me, to reproduce his character in me, so that those who follow me truly grow up to be little Christs who represent him also. It's the hard, hard work of becoming exactly like him by following him daily, by hanging on every word he says, by, by doing exactly what I see him doing in every moment. And then, accurately representing him, then I'll fulfill Exodus 20, verse 7, and Matthew 28, 19, and bring many into the kingdom with me. It's, it's a lot to think about from the simple story of a jet ski, but there it is. That's how the Lord's been speaking to me lately, and I'm glad I get a chance to share it here with you. So be blessed, and we'll talk again soon.